Let's do it. You've got questions. We've got answers. Phone lines are open wide. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome to the Line of Fire. It is Friday for Christians around the world. Good Friday, a day of special remembrance of the death of Jesus on our behalf. And a time of the year when, thankfully, this is happening during the Passover season. At a certain point in church history, Passover got separated from Easter. But Jesus, Yeshua, our Savior and Messiah, died for our sins and rose from the dead during the Passover season. To my Jewish friends celebrating Passover, to my Christian friends celebrating Easter, and to my Messianic Jewish friends celebrating them all at once, let's put our focus on the Liberator, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. I I tweeted out earlier today just a simple message, Gospel 101, and I I said this. Actually, it it was part of a larger quote from How Saved Are We? We sinned. He died. We were guilty. He was punished. We deserved death. He gave us his life. We rejected him. He accepted us. What a savior. What a king. Jesus paid it all, all to whom we owe. We are so thankful, Lord. 866-34-TRUTH. You've got questions. We've got answers. Any question of any kind that I can help you with, any question that pertains to anything on the line of fire, as long as it's appropriate for Christian radio, or if you're different with me, want to challenge me, any question at all, 866-348-7884. Uh, we'll start in Gainesville, Florida with Lamar. Welcome to the line of fire. Hello, Lamar. Are you there? Yes. You're on the air. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm... Okay. Hey, uh, Dr. Brown, I love you, man. Uh, yes, sir. Yeah, well, go. Thank you, sir. I appreciate the love, man. So okay. what's your question, brother? Okay, I just wanted to, I heard a video that you and another man had put on about the rapture. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to um, show you a scripture you know, I know you said that the church wasn't mentioned again until Revelation 20. No, it's not, not mentioned, period. The The word church does not occur after the third chapter. In the well, rest I, of the I know, I know, but I mean, I mean the people. No, no, we're, no, 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 we're right, right there yeah. through the whole book of Revelation. Believers are there right through the whole book okay. of Revelation. That's one of our points, that the saints okay. are on earth right during the whole tribulation period. Yes, sir. Okay, but I just wanted to read something to you. Yeah, go ahead. Please read it. Okay. Now, I know in Revelations 26, he says, The blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Mm-hmm. Over such, the second death has no power. Yes, sir. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, 
and shall reign with him a thousand years. Yep, correct. Okay, and what caught this to me was I read Revelations 5 and verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal. For you were slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Mm -hmm. And you have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign with you on earth. Yeah, so that, that ties in directly with Revelation chapter 20, that when Jesus returns at the end of the tribulation period, that as he appears in, in, in the clouds, as he appears in glory for the whole world to see, that the dead in Messiah will be resurrected, that those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet him, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians 4, and we descend together with him to the earth to rule and reign with him. So that is the first resurrection, and we're unaffected by the second death. So we are raised together with him at the end of the tribulation period, and then rule and reign with him over the earth. Yeah, so that's the, those verses go hand in hand. Hey, thank you, sir, for the call. I appreciate it, and thanks for the love. 866-34-TRUTH. The earlier you call, the better chance we have of getting to your calls. Uh, let's go to Paul in California. Welcome to the line of fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. It's an honor to speak to you. I've been watching all your videos. I'm, uh, I'm actually uh, originally Egyptian. I came here uh, from, because of persecution and stuff. And uh, my question is, I have two questions. One, The first one is uh, about the Dead Sea scrolls uh, and the tablets that were discovered about... Uh, the messianic tablet and uh, how that impacts the evidence for the resurrection about how the Jews expected the Messiah to be killed and uh, resurrected on the third day. Uh, my second question is uh, from Proverbs 8, chapter 8, verse 22 in the Septuagint, which shows that wisdom was created, an attribute of God which was created, and uh, later a church heretic called Arius used it. And now Jehovah Witnesses are using it, so I don't know how to refute it. I know in the in the Hebrew in the Hebrew it's, uh, it could also mean possessed, but uh, like Jehovah Witnesses use the uh, the the Greek translation of it, and yep. uh, it really bothers me when I'm speaking to them and all that. So that I think that's it. Yes, sir. So so first, as as far and thanks for the for the good word, and glad you're enjoying the YouTube videos. Friends, we've got a massive digital library waiting for you at AskDrBrown.org, AskDrBrown.org. And for those who are monthly supporters, make sure you check out the special material that we have exclusively for you as well on the website. So, number one, with regard to uh, a more recent Dead Sea Scroll res discovery or related to Dead Sea Scrolls, um, <clears throat> there's a lot of debate as to the exact reading of the Hebrew text. Does it speak of a resurrection on the third day? Uh, it, it's, it, it's a difficult text to work through. What we do know is that the disciples didn't get it. 
The Lord's own disciples weren't getting it. The Lord's own disciples didn't, didn't understand what was going on when he said he was going to die and rise. So I don't believe there is a widespread view that the Messiah would die and rise when Jesus opened the eyes of his disciples and they could see, look back on the scriptures. Wow. There it is. Incredible. Uh, so now that's, that's something very, very different, but may there have been hints of it. May there have been some belief possibly, but we can't be dogmatic uh, as, as for the idea of wisdom being created in, in the eighth chapter of Proverbs. You rightly said the Hebrew verb used there can mean to create or can mean to possess, can mean to acquire. So you don't want to dogmatically say that this says wisdom was created by God and that wisdom represents the Son of God and therefore the Son of God was created. Elsewhere we're told explicitly he was in the beginning with God, John 1.1, and nothing was created without going through him. And John 8.58, he declares as Jehovah's Witnesses totally botched before Abraham was, I am. So that speaks to the eternal nature of the Son, and many other passages point in that direction as well. You can watch my, my debate on that uh, with Dale Tuggy, where we discuss that, and I think we lay out very plainly the eternal nature of the Son. So either the Hebrew simply is speaking of, of possessed, which is a very common meaning of, of the root kana, uh, it can be acquire. The other thing is that it's metaphorical language in any case that even if it's the Son of God speaking metaphorically, the idea of wisdom being created by God does not now transfer over to that means the Son of God was created. It's a metaphorical poetic passage, and you don't want to press it for detail beyond that. Hope that helps. 866-34-TRUTH. Let us go to William in Chicago. Thanks for calling the line of fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. I, I uh, first saw you uh, on a program show with uh, Dr. David Wood, and uh, ever since I saw you speak, I was mesmerized by uh, by your words of wisdom. Um, I had a question in regard to uh, forgiveness. Yes, sir. So, what did Je- what did Jesus um, actually teach in, re- in reference to forgiveness? Because as a Christian, I grew up under two thoughts. The first thought was, you know, if you Forgiveness is um, unconditional. You have to give it no matter what. Um, but then I was told recently that no, that in regards to forgiveness, Jesus taught that one has to ask for forgiveness and has to be remorseful and truly uh, mean in, in regards to wanting you know, forgiveness. Um, so what is uh, the exact uh, truth about what Jesus taught in reference to forgiveness? And is there anything that Jesus taught that is unforgivable? Thank you. Yeah, so it, we're, we're talking interpersonal relations here and, and when we forgive and what Jesus taught. We know that he said to forgive others and that if we don't, God won't forgive us. This is in terms of our relationship with the Lord, not our salvation. We know that Colossians 3 tells us to forgive as we have been forgiven. And we know on the cross Jesus prays for those crucifying him, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Obviously, those men had not repented. So I look at it in two ways, William. And, and thanks for enjoying our, our videos. And uh, my friend David Wood, so glad we could have that video on his channel. Okay, number one, there's the condition of my heart. 
if someone has sinned against me, I'm angry with them. And I'm oh, just not going to do that. And maybe I've got no contact with them, no way to interact, no, no idea what's going on with them. I want to, <laughs> excuse me, forgive them from my heart. I want to <laughs> be able to say, Father, I forgive them so that I'm not getting bitter and angry towards them. At the same time, forgiveness cannot be transacted until that person comes and asks for forgiveness. In other words, for there to be reconciliation, for there to be the transaction of forgiveness where that person experiences my forgiveness in reality, it's tied in with their repentance and asking for forgiveness. But from my heart, I want to release, Lord, I forgive those who sinned against me. It's wonderfully freeing for me and often releases grace to those people as well. Thank you for the question. We'll be right back. Give us strength to always do what's right. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome back to the Line of Fire. Hey, special announcement, special announcement. A little over an hour from now, Right, it's, it's 3.18 Eastern Standard Time now, where I am, so you know where you are anywhere in the world. But a little over an hour from now, so 4.30 Eastern Standard, I'm going to be coming back onto YouTube. So that's our Ask Dr. Brown channel, ASKDR Brown on YouTube, and spending, I don't know, at least a half hour, maybe an hour, just interacting with you, answering your questions in an exclusive YouTube chat. So if you're unable to get through to me now, or you're unable to call then you've got another chance to communicate. So tell your friends, all right? We want to do this and have a special time together. 866-34-TRUTH. Let us go to Carlo in San Diego, California. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hey, Dr. Brown, can you hear me well? Yes, sir. Okay, so my question, uh, my wife and I, we spent about two years in a messianic uh synagogue but the more time we spent there um i realized that many people were starting to fall back into either orthodox judaism my sister-in-law even herself now denies christ and has turned from the faith and i started to even see myself get caught up in you know the talit the prayers the the shabbat and all of these all of these things have you uh, and, and I'm now back at a at a regular uh, Southern Baptist church, um, a little more conservative. But I so what I appreciate about your ministry is I see the balance that you carry, and it really helped me a lot just to push forward and move on from a lot of those things. And I did learn a, a lot about you know the the Jewish roots of the faith. But have you, as a messianic leader, spoken or have seen these things throughout? the movement where, where this is a danger. Uh, yes, yes. So there are two sides to it. On the one hand, through church history, the church has departed so far from its Jewish roots, has driven Jewish people away from the gospel by its persecution, by its anti-Semitism, by its utter rejection of Jewish aspects of the faith, that it's done tremendous damage. And as I documented in my book, Our Hands Are Stained With Blood, is one of the main reasons Jews don't believe in Jesus because of church history and and the church departing from its roots so deeply. The fact that you have Easter and Passover on different days most years uh, is is because of a decision by the church 
uh, under Constantine in the fourth century to say we we're not going to celebrate the same time the Jews do or, or be dependent on on their calendar and things like that. So on the one hand, that has been terribly damaging through history, and it's something we're still seeking to fix and adjust. On the flip side, many that now find home in a Messianic congregation, and it's like, ah, oh, at last I'm a Jew, and, and I can, you know, where does it say in the New Testament that the Sabbath was changed to Sunday? It doesn't. Or that Sunday has become the day of worship and, and a Jew can't set aside the Seventh-day Sabbath. It, it doesn't. The first Jewish believers were so Jewish, Peter didn't even think he could go into the house of a Gentile. It never dawned on him that he was supposed to eat unclean food or anything like that. And Paul in Acts 21 testifies he hasn't done anything against the, the, the customs and laws of his people. So it's been a great sanctuary for many Jews. It has been a place of, of strength and a place to say to the Jewish world, hey, we're Jews and we believe in Jesus. And our kids are being raised as Jews who believe in Jesus. And, and we, we celebrate the biblical feast, but we do it with the Messiah at the center. The problem is, and I've seen it, sir, for decades, and it's dangerous in this way, when the pendulum swings, it often swings too far. And the Holy Spirit gave me a prophetic word of warning in 1984. This is before I had been involved in the Messianic movement, before I had visited Messianic congregations, before I'd become a leader within the movement on any level. And the Holy Spirit said to me, the whole Jewish temptation, meaning I want to be more Jewish, I want to show my Jewishness, I want to put on the outward garbs and you know, look like the rabbis and the whole bit. The whole Jewish temptation is in the soul realm. So it's not ultimately spiritual, but it appeals to the emotions and this tradition thing that kind of grips us. The whole Jewish temptation is in the soul realm. It will fascinate, stimulate, complicate, suffocate. So be on your guard. So I've always understood that, <clears throat> that there's an initial fascination and learning things we didn't know before. And that can be great. And then stimulation where I'm just eager to get in the word more instead of these Jewish roots things even more and recover this. And, 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 and then it complicates like, well, I mean, okay, well, I, 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 what about the new moons? Are we supposed to keep the new moons or what? I mean, okay, there's no temple, but do we go to Jerusalem or, 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 or what, or how, how do we handle that? Or, well, I mean, I mean, my family at Christmas, I guess I shouldn't go there anymore and then suffocate. They, they have no spiritual life. They're not worshiping Yeshua as Lord. They're not sharing the gospel. And yes, some completely apostatize. They now deny Jesus. I know Gentiles that have converted to Judaism through that process. So the key is not to throw out a Messianic Jewish expression. The key is to keep Yeshua central. The key is to keep Jesus central and spiritual life central. And these other things are like the clothes that we wear, whereas Jesus is the core of our lives and our beings. If we do that, and much of the Messianic movement does it, it'll be healthy and strong and vibrant. If not, it'll, it'll be weak and, and a path to apostasy. And the same with the church. If the church can rightly affirm and recover its Jewish roots, it can be healthy for Jew and Gentile. Otherwise, it can be unhealthy. All right? All right. Thank you. You're very welcome, sir. 866-34-TRUTH. All right. I got to do something here. All right. I know. I know. We're on radio and you're watching on YouTube and Facebook. I, I'm just, I, I got to do this. All right. I got to do this. I just switched or our ministry offices switched over from one carrier to another. All right. 
And for days, I have not been getting texts. And right before we started radio, I mean, right, right, right before we started radio, we were able to put in the new SIM card and activate. And now all these texts are coming up. But I've got my family saying, are you getting my text? Are you getting my, okay, you got my individual text. Did you get the group text? So I just, I'm taking one second here. Okay. I, uh, let me respond to the group text here and tell them I am doing radio now and exclamation points. And they'll know I got the text. Just having fun with the family. Okay. There, we took care of family business. I am less distracted. 866-34-TRUTH. Let us go to Ryan in Virginia. Welcome to the line of fire. How are you doing, Dr. Brown? Very well. Thank you, sir. Uh, I got a question about uh, the day Christ was crucified. Because yes, sir. We all know we all know that today is Good Friday. Mm-hmm. I have heard theory of he was actually crucified on Thursday, and I've heard rumor that or theory that he was crucified on Wednesday. What is your view on this? My view, first and foremost, is I'm not that concerned overall. And in, in other words, the key thing is that history tells us that he died, and the history tells us that he rose and that I've encountered him as, as my savior who died for my sins and rose from the dead. And he's changed my life. So I'm not saying that in a trite way. I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but. Oh, oh I agree uh, with you. I, I agree. It's right. a side issue. Right, right. Uh, okay. But I just want to say that first, because to some it's, it's not a side issue. All right. And I don't believe even if Jesus was crucified on a Wednesday or on a Thursday, even if that was the case, I don't believe God is displeased that it's, it's, been an almost universal tradition to celebrate his death on a Friday. All right. In other words, if, if, if hundreds of millions of Christians are especially focusing on the cross today, because it's quote good Friday as, as it's been named, all right, obviously not in the Bible, but over the centuries and they're focusing on it. And he actually died on a Thursday or Wednesday. I don't think God's grieved over that either. So the, the strongest historical references we have and from what it seems the early church recognized that there was a crucifixion on a Friday. And then, so he is, he is in the grave part of Friday. So that's one day, uh, all of Saturday. So Friday night, Saturday day, and then Saturday night to Sunday morning. So that's parts of three days and three nights and therefore fulfills what scripture says. But others have argued that he said, no, 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 three days and three nights. He uses that specific language. And if that's the case, then it really has to be a crucifixion on a Wednesday and there's evidence for it. Uh, and, and some of you said have, have argued for a Thursday. And then, of course, there's the, the question, the synoptic gospels seem to present Jesus as eating the Passover meal, which would be the first day of Passover. John seems to suggest that, that he dies when the lambs are, are being slaughtered. So that would be the, the day before the Passover meal. So he has kind of a pre-Passover meal. So there's debate about that. And to be totally honest, Ryan, I don't know. I have not devoted many, many hours of study to try to figure this out. Uh, there are so many areas that consume me and controversies and issues that I need to, to work out. So I know the overwhelming majority of church leaders recognize Friday as the time of the crucifixion. And that's why it's so universally celebrated. But honestly, I don't know. In other words, when, when people say, you got to read this book, it proves that Jesus was crucified on a Wednesday. 
My response is, it might be, it could be. That would be very interesting, but it affects nothing in, in terms of the fact that the Gospels clearly recount what happened in history. This is not just a spiritual myth, and that even other ancient sources refer to Jesus dying under Pilate, and we can be absolutely sure for many reasons of the resurrection accounts. And then bottom line, as I said, we've experienced the power of his blood. We've experienced life transformation through Jesus, the Messiah. Hey, thank you, sir, for your question. And if I had a more dogmatic view, I'd honestly share it regardless of where the, the chips, where the chips fall, if the chips fall, yeah, wherever they fell. 866-34-TRUTH. We'll be right back with your questions. Let's again focus on the one who dies for you and for me. Whatever sins we committed, there's forgiveness at the cross. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks so much for joining us on The Line of Fire, 866-348-784. It is a joy to be with you today. Uh, it is Good Friday for Christians around the world. It is the Passover season for Jews around the world. It is the time whether we know the exact date and moment, it is the time when Messiah died for our sins and rose from the dead. These sacred days, every day is sacred in the Lord, but it's a time especially to reflect and to remember the price that was paid for our sin, the ugliness of sin, and the beauty of God's love all displayed at the cross. 866-34-TRUTH, you've got questions, we've got answers. Okay, one hour from now or 56 minutes and 10 seconds from now, we're going to be back on YouTube doing an exclusive chat, interacting with you, answering your YouTube questions. So make sure to join us. Tell your friends. It's going to be a great, fun, edifying time to interact together. Uh, let's go to our friend Todd in Seagrove, North Carolina. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Uh, well, thank you, Dr. Brown, and a happy Passover. Thank you, sir. Um. In Ezekiel chapter 8, there are several abominations that are spoken of there. And the one that I'm uh, going to ask you about is in verse 17. And it speaks about uh, putting the branch to their nose. And I'm curious to find out what that means. Yeah, you're not the only one curious, <laughs> Tom. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I got kind of intrigued with that years ago and, and looked at different commentaries. And, and nobody knows for sure. It, it seemed to be some type of idolatrous practice, something associated with idol worship that the nations would do and that the Israelites did as well. And, uh, you know, I, it, it's, it's, a, it's a funny thing. I got to tell you this. Uh, you've been a faithful listener for many years, so, so I, I know your voice and Todd from Seagrove, you know, and, and, and we'll hear from you periodically. You always ask really good questions. You, you've always got something that you're reading and wondering about. So, here, I, I honestly never came to a conclusion on it, but I'll share with you what the IVP Bible background commentary says. There is an Akkadian expression, so that's ancient Babylonian and, and Assyrian, a Laban Api, that refers to a gesture of humility used to come contritely before a deity with a petition. When this act is portrayed in art, the worshiper has his hand positioned in front of his nose and mouth 
and is sometimes shown with a short cylindrical object in his hand. From the Sumerian tale called Gilgamesh in the Land of the Living, there is some evidence that what is held is a small branch cut off of a living tree. This would suggest that in Ezekiel, the people are putting on a show of humility. It must be admitted, however, that these connections are very hazy and the significance may lay somewhere else entirely. So, Todd, I don't know. That learned opinion there just shows how much people are grasping at straws. That's it. They're grasping at straws. No, no, no. It doesn't mean grasping at straws. Put it I don't know. It was something that was serious. It was, it, it, could it mean feigned humility? You're feigning humility in the midst of your sin? Or was it an idolatrous practice of some type that was being referred to? We're not sure. I'm not aware of any Ezekiel commentary that has definitively solved that. So you did well to ask a question about it. I wish I had a more definitive answer. Now you might say, no, I got online and I read an answer on the internet. Yeah, that's, that's somebody who came up with their own answer. Okay. If there's a definitive answer in the scholarly world or a definitive answer that someone came up with that scholars said, that works, great. But a lot of these things are just internet myths. Like the myth of the, the fold that pass over a napkin and that, that Yeshua's uh, grave clothes were folded in, 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 in the tomb and that signified he had risen based on a Passover custom. Forget about it. Another internet myth. Uh, we go to the phones. Jerry in Idaho. Welcome, sir, to the line of fire. Thank you very much for taking my call. You're very welcome. So I had a question. I was listening to your uh, thing with Mr. Jones, Dr. Jones, yesterday. Yes, sir. Um, and I've also been a fan of Stephen Benoon over at Israeli News Live for a long time before uh, all this nonsense about the Noahide laws. Um, one of the things that it's kind of made me reflect on is the works of Rabbi Kahana, actually. And I, I know that probably sounds strange, but... Mayor Kahana? Um, I, yeah, Rab, Mayor Kahana, he... Um, the extreme yeah, right, extreme right wing. Things. Yeah, he was assassinated uh, by uh, obviously a, a Muslim that opposed him, but opposed by many in Israel. So he would be extreme right wing and basically get rid of the Arabs, get them out of the land. They have no place there uh, with us. Yeah, so extreme right wing Rabbi Mayor Kahana. Yes, sir. Right, and um, my question is, and I, I'm not necessarily advocating for any of the things that he said because I know that he had a lot of really, shall we say, unsavory solutions. Um, but it does seem a lot of the things that he talked about have come almost prophetically true. Like, for example, the West Bank has become a burden on Israel, like ridiculously so. The world has turned on Israel. America doesn't seem to be fond of Israel anymore. And I'm wondering, with all those things and with the real hard push to the right wing that Netanyahu has had to experience over the last 20 years, um, do you ever wonder that we might get to a place where a, Jews aren't really welcome outside of Israel, and also B, that Israel isn't very democratic, that it, it takes Zionism as more yeah. important than democracy. Uh, yes, sir. Okay, so uh, number number one, number one, uh, I, I, I referenced Rabbi Meir Kahana in broad terms. Yes, there were warnings he gave that were certainly pertinent, and concerns he had that were certainly relevant, but there, there were solutions he advocated that I would strongly oppose, wholeheartedly oppose. And there were undertones of his message that you could, you could call racist. Nonetheless, there were many things he said that, that were important. In other words, with, with most human beings, there's a mixture. 
And sometimes people with radical positions may also say something good along the way. Do I think that the time could come when Jews are not welcome anywhere except in Israel? Yes, sir. It could certainly happen. It hasn't happened yet in America. But look, uh, Jews have been fleeing the former Soviet Union for years. Jews are now fleeing France. Jews may be fleeing uh, England next. Jews may be fleeing Germany. So, yeah, that could that could well happen. Overnight, uh, 800,000 Jews that lived throughout the Middle East in, in Muslim Arab countries, uh, they had to flee those countries when the state of Israel came into existence, and, and the majority of them were absorbed within Israel itself. So that could happen. Absolutely. It, it could be. Is it also possible that Israel will not stand as a democracy? Yes, but not because of Zionism. Not because of Zionism. The only way that could happen is if the religious population grows and grows and grows and grows to the point that it dominates, and then it would set up a Jewish state with Jewish law in a much more dogmatic way. In other words, that just like in Jerusalem, the Sabbath is kept, you know, you can't open a store uh, in, in Jewish Jerusalem on the Sabbath. In the, in the Arab quarter, of course you can, but, but you can't open a store uh, you you can't certain communicate uh, transportation it, it doesn't exist you know buses are not going to run or you can't drive into certain neighborhoods so that could well be enforced all over Israel that that could actually happen that and it wouldn't surprise me if those things ultimately happen now as for Netanyahu uh, I don't know that he's lurched far right Israel as we see from the most recent elections is centrist right. But we see the party that came in right behind Netanyahu, and there's even speculation of a possible coalition with, with Likud and the Blue and White Party, that the, that party is more of a centrist party, and yet they got the second highest amount of votes. So, uh, yes, the, the ultra-Orthodox and the radical right are growing in numbers. All right, The, the radical left is, is always there. It's been there through, through Israel's history in many ways. The Arab vote is not as substantial as it could be because many boycott the elections just in protest to, to Israel's leadership and control and things like that. Otherwise, uh, the Arab parties could have more say, more input in, in the Knesset. But, um, yeah, I could see these things happening, Jerry. I could see the way things were in the first century in Judea before the Second Temple was destroyed being kind of a mirror image of that. I could see increased persecution of Messianic Jews in the land from the ultra-Orthodox uh, before the final time of repentance comes. So it, it, it could well be those things could unfold. And, and let me just say this last thing about, about anti-Semitism, my interview with Dr. Jones. If you missed it, please watch it on our, on our uh, YouTube page. Ask Dr. Brown the interview yesterday with Catholic scholar E. Michael Jones. He put that, our video, with our full blessing, it's great, on his, on his YouTube channel. And he's got, I don't know, half or a third of the subscribers I got, but he's probably got three, four times as many views already and three, four times as many comments. We've got well over 300 comments already just from posting it yesterday, which, which for us, for, for a video overnight, uh, you know, not even 24 hours it's been up, that's, that's a lot of comments. And, and we're just trying to let them flow, even though we'd normally not allow a lot of them because of the trash and the ugliness. We're just, just letting more flow so people can see what's out there. But I glanced over at his page, and, and it seems he's got a really devoted following. Yeah, so we've got 361 comments already and, and 2,600 uh, views. And if I just go to his page and look, uh, he's probably got, uh, let me just see here. Yeah, he's got almost 13,000 views already. 
And as far as comments, he's got, oh, let's see. I bet it's maybe 1,500 comments by now. Let's see what it says. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, 13,000 views now. And here, it's 886 thumbs up, nine thumbs down, over 1,100 comments. In other words, he's got an echo chamber there of, of folks that really agree with him and that espouse what to me are blatantly anti-Semitic views. When you say, yes, the Jews killed Christ and the Jews are subversive and the, and the, the Jews that, that every Jew basically makes a choice at a certain point in life and that they're going to be Jesus rejecting, wisdom rejecting, God rejecting and, and, and go their way of rebellion, etc. And now it's the Jews. Those are, those are dangerous anti-Semitic tropes, which I said uh, during the interview have led to Jewish bloodshed through the centuries. Uh, our conversation was civil. I committed to that. He committed to that. No one could argue that. And I wanted him to be able to speak his mind. And I was not in debate mode. I was going to explain why I differed with him. So, yes, it's fine to criticize Jewish people like anybody else. And yes, it's fine to criticize the modern state of Israel. But there is such a thing as anti-Semitism. And if you want to see it in full measure, look at some of the comments coming in already. I've got an article that'll go up a little later today. It's already up on our website, Why Russian Jews Dreaded uh, Easter Weekend. Uh, you can read it at askdrbrown.org. It'll be up in other places later today. Uh, I quote some of the comments that have already come in. You want to see blatant anti-Semitism. You want to see Jew hatred. You want to see painting with a broad brush. Look at the responses to yesterday's interview. It, it proves the point I was making. And then go over to his website and you'll just see a steady stream of it. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks so much for joining us on this Friday broadcast. And for Christians around the world, good Friday. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. Let me say it again. Thank God for the blood of Jesus, not just for cleansing me and you of sin when we first came to faith, but of cleansing us and washing us on a daily basis so that we stand holy before the Lord. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, quick note, if you subscribe to our YouTube channel, you still may not get notified every time we post a new video or go live. So check your notifications on YouTube to make sure that we get to notify you. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Patrick in Boston. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hi, yeah, I'm a Catholic, and I want to express a disagreement I have with Mr. Jones, uh, whose interview I heard yesterday. Yes, please um, do. Basically, he's taken these, uh, these verses made years ago, by uh, Jewish theologians. And if we were to take that standard and, ap and apply it to Christianity, we could take random verses said by Christian theologians and use that to indict all of Christianity. So I disagree with the standard that he's applying to Judaism, and, uh, and I think he's allowing his personal feelings 
towards Jews to interfere with his theology, because according to Christianity, we live in a fallen world where all ethnic groups are in a fallen state, mm-hmm. and we're trying to uplift everybody, whether they're uh, Jew or Gentile or whatever race or religion. We're, as Christians, we're supposed to uh, share our love with people of all religions and all ethnic backgrounds, and we're not supposed to uh, judge people, um, whether they're Jewish or white or black or whatever. Like, it's Right, right. To, to look at a certain group of people as if this group of people, by being part of that group, is subversive or destructive or antichrist or whatever. Right, that becomes very problematic, as I said throughout your interview, when you say the Jews, the Jews, the Jews. You know, for example, Dr. Jones said, look, the Germans every year make reparations to the Jews. So you've got this category, the, the Germans, you've got this category, the Jews. Well, again, I, I wasn't pushing back at every point, wanted to let him speak. But the answer to that is no, the Germans worldwide, all Germans, do not make reparations to Jews worldwide, all Jews but rather to Jews who were tragically affected by the Holocaust, there are reparations that are made. And, and again, it's, it's when you make these categories, these judgments about categories of people becomes problematic. And, and to, to press one other point, Patrick, so the use of the Jews in, in the Gospel of John, many have said it's anti-Semitic. Many have said that, well, you see, there was already a break between church and synagogue, and, and John was writing in a hostile way as part of the church. No, no, John was writing as a Jew. And these were inner Jewish conflicts. So for an inner family conflict, when you now take it outside and make an indictment, it's like you're having a conflict with your family uh, over a meal and discussing something very passionately. But if anyone ever came to attack your family, you'd, you'd defend them totally. So you can have an inner family conflict. So first century and before Jesus and first century when Jesus came, there are plenty of inter-Jewish conflicts and they're very intense and passionate and Dead Sea Scrolls writers speaking about other Jews as sons of Satan and sons of darkness and things like this. This is nothing unusual. And in context, as I said, many scholars can be quoted to back this up, including Catholic scholars, which I, I referenced to, to Dr. Jones. I didn't give names, but you know, for example, Urban C. Von, von Valda, a noted Catholic scholar and commentator on John, he would point out to the different ways that the term is used. And if you go through John 9, it's clearly speaking about Pharisees and Jewish leaders, synagogue leaders. It's not talking about the Jews as a people. If it is talking about the Jews as a people, then what do you do with John 4, 22? Salvation is of the Jews. That's what Jesus says. Yeah, and in and, and 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul's talking about what he suffered from his countrymen in Judea, and he says, you're suffering Thessalonians from the same thing in your countrymen that we suffered from who? The Judeans. And, and, and then even if he's speaking of the Jews, you want to say that, which Jews? Well, the Jews, the leaders who crucified the Messiah and in generations past rejected the prophets and they're hostile to God and, and man. It's not all the Jews, but those Jews who did those things. So to extrapolate from that, that all Jews are hostile to God, are hostile to man and don't please God and are Christ killers, that, to me, is anti-Semitic, which is why I took such strong issue, respectfully so, with Dr. Jones. Thank you, sir, for the call as a Catholic. That, now, look, I just got an email from a Catholic friend, and he said, hey, look, fact is, I know a lot of anti-Semitism is based on envy. You know, that Jewish kids at school are smarter. 
or Jewish families were richer or Jews. And I've had people when the Holy Spirit was poured out one time in, in meetings. Oh, when was this late? Uh, no, uh, late 1982, early 1983. They were coming in and confessing some of this. These are friends of ours. You know, I didn't like Peter Jewish. Jewish kids were smarter in my school or the parents were richer. It's like, wow, it's not wild. I'm not saying that's the case with Dr. Jones, but certainly that is the reason for some being anti-Semitic. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, Sonia in Florida, thanks so much for holding. Welcome to the line of fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. How are you? Doing very well. Thank you. Good. Um, just on that note from the last caller and everything, yesterday yeah. while I was listening to Dr. Jones, I kept going, isn't that all of us? We've all, we all put him on the cross. Yeah, all of us. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> uh, so anyway, that's the thought that just kept resounding through my mind. Yeah, and, and the New Testament, what's the message? God so of the world that he gave his son, right? John 3, and then Jesus says in John 10, no one takes my life, I lay it down. And, and then who ultimately puts him on the cross? Me, you. Guilty as charged. Our sins nailed him there. Absolutely. Yes, as to your question. Okay, so um, so I don't want this to sound legalistic, um, but I hear from time to time, whether it be a pastor or somebody, say, well, um, all sin is equal. Sin is sin. You know, we, we don't need to, I don't necessarily say judge or whatever, but, I mean, I... Something about that just bothers me from the standpoint, yes, I know we are, you know, we are born with sin. So we have the sin nature, sin in us. But as far as simple acts, I guess if we want to say it that way, you know, I just think in Proverbs where um, the Lord says that, um, you know, there are six things that he hates, but seven are an abomination, and then, you right, know, and specific, yeah, so I'm just jumping in only because time okay. is short and I want to okay. make sure I answer. Yeah, of course there are different levels of sin. Of course there are. Number one, Matthew 23, Jesus rebuking the hypocritical religious leaders and says, you know, you tithe diligently, to paraphrase, but you neglect the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. So faithless, you should have, yeah, keep doing these other things, but but put the put first things first. Or in, in, in John 18, when Jesus says to Pilate, yeah, you're, you're acting with your authority to, to, to crucify me. But those that handed me over, they've committed a greater sin because they went beyond their authority to get it done. So you're culpable, but they're even more culpable. And when God would judge Israel, does it say he judged Israel because people had bad thoughts about each other? Or does he judge Israel because they shed innocent blood? Uh, my friend, Professor Robert Gagnon, does a great job of illustrating this. He's a great New Testament scholar, especially famous for his book on the Bible and homosexual practice. And he says, you know, a, a guy comes home from work one day, he had a business luncheon, and his wife said, hey, how was work today? And he goes, oh, work was fine, but, you know, we had this luncheon, and it's like, oh, food I really like, and it was this endless buffet, and I, I, I really, stu- I overate. I was a real glutton today. I was a little embarrassed about it. You know, I ate, and then I double dessert I got. You know, and I was really a glutton today. I didn't really exercise self-control. She said, honey, come on. What's the big deal? It's just food. Not a big deal. And he goes, oh, that wasn't too bad. The next day he comes home. How was work? Oh, good. I mean, over lunch, I slept with three different prostitutes, you know. and <laughs> Okay. Are you going to tell me they're the same? Or, or, or here. All right. <clears throat> Here's a guy that sees a woman, an attractive woman. 
And in his heart, he lusts after her. He allows himself to think wrong thoughts. Are you going to tell me that, that that's just as bad? Yeah, he's committed adultery in his heart. But you're not going to tell me it is just as bad as actually carrying out the act or going down and chasing that woman and raping her or then raping her and then killing her? Are you going to tell me that if you give your kid explicit instructions, you know, Johnny, you have to make your bed in the morning and, and be a good boy at school. And, uh, and he doesn't make his bed one day. Like, mommy, I'm sorry. I didn't make my bed. All right, Johnny, do better tomorrow. And then he comes home from school. The next day, I, yeah, I just beat up three kids. I, I, I picked up a hammer and I struck them over the head. I'm sorry, just like when I didn't make my bed. No, of, of course. Different levels of sin. And, and scripture deals with that. And that's why people are judged according to works. So all sin is sin. And, and, and don't look at yourself self-righteously and say, well, I didn't commit adultery. Yeah, but you stole. Well, I didn't break the Sabbath. Yeah, but you committed the, uh, idolatry. So all sin is sin. And if we break the law in one place, then we're guilty. We're lawbreakers, right? But as far as severity of sin, of course, one thing's worse than another. Obviously, common sense tells you that. And the Bible tells you that in explicit verses and even how God deals with Israel. All right, friends, listen, we're out of time. But <laughs> set your watch now, 30 minutes from now, we're going to be back on YouTube. So that's our YouTube channel, Ask Dr. Brown, A-S-K-D-R Brown. We're going to be live starting at 4.30 Eastern Standard Time. So that's 30 minutes from now and all i'm going to be doing i may share a little teaching but all i'm going to be doing other than that is just answering questions you post on youtube and thanks kai for the info if you want to be notified when you're you subscribe make sure you just hit the bell icon on youtube and that'll make sure you're notified whenever we come on or whenever there's a new video god bless have an awesome weekend in the lord